Live on the line, it's our regular check-in with State Senator Andy Menard. Senator, welcome. Great to have you on the program. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having me. Catching your breath here in the midway point between the two halves of the fall veto session. It's been pretty eventful so far. want to start with one of the big pieces of legislation that you have seen uh, advance partway through the process, and that's your bill to limit the out-of-pocket expenses that families will have to pay for insulin. Uh, pretty strong bipartisan support for this legislation. Were you surprised that it, it picked up the number of votes that it did? Honestly, Jim, I was. Um uh, you know me well enough to know by now that before I go into a vote, I like to have a solid roll call. Uh, but on this particular bill, it took 36. It took a super majority to pass it because of um, the timing of the bill as well as the regulatory aspect of it. Um, so I would tell you, I walked onto the Senate floor and we had somewhere around 30, 31, 32 votes for sure. And there were many members um, on both sides of the aisle that were up in the air. Um, and I thought it would be good just to at least advance the bill and give it a full debate so that we could have a public discussion about what's happening with insulin prices. And um, it turned out with 48 votes, which, of course, is a, a big bipartisan victory. And we're hoping that next week uh, the House of Representatives is able to get it both through committee and through a, full, a floor vote so that we could send the bill to Governor Pritzker, who has um, expressed uh, multiple times his willingness to, to sign the bill into law. Uh, you're hopeful. Does hope equal confidence at this point? It seems like the House is always a steeper hill to climb on issues like this than the Senate. Yeah, well, look, I, I think the issue speaks for itself. We had uh, press conferences around the state, and I was on your show multiple times over the summer um, talking about the importance of the bill. And I think this issue resonates with people, even with families that don't have someone um, that is a diabetic because it's indicative of what's happening with pharmaceutical prices across the board. What's happening uh, right now across the country in terms of uh, the profiteering off of diabetics is uh, probably the worst example that I've seen in my time in the state Senate of of a a wrong that needs to be uh, set into the right direction. Um, I thought a lot about this bill before I introduced it back in May, and um, I think it's appropriate to place some type of price regulation because of the egregious examples of people that I represent. I would tell you, I just talked to um, a constituent from Hillsboro um, last week who told me that she drives to Canada to get insulin for uh, a family member. Um, it's that, and she has insurance, Jim. That's the, that's the issue at hand here. This bill will help individuals who are working and who have insurance um, because of what can only be described as profiteering on the part of pharmaceutical companies, uh, PBMs, and insurance companies in that supply chain on how insulin gets produced, goes through the process of being priced up, and then puts, uh, puts those prices into the hands of consumers, and they don't have any choice but to pay it. Uh, of course, insulin isn't the only drug where people see very high prices, sometimes prices that are beyond their ability to pay for drugs that they need, whether to save their life or to at least have a good quality of life. So do do we go beyond this? Is insulin just the beginning? Are you going to seek to cap prices of other pharmaceuticals as well? Well, this is part of, um, uh, if you string a couple of bills together, Jim, last session um, I sponsored along with uh, Majority Leader Greg Harris in the House, a bill that would enact the first uh, regulatory measures on pharmacy benefit managers or PBMs in Illinois. 
we were one of the few states that didn't have any measures whatsoever for PBMs. And um, I could spend a whole, whole hour talking to you about who these people are and what they do. I'll sum it up. They drive the price through the roof on prescription medication. They're middlemen. They don't sell anything. Um, they just simply uh, gauge the market. Um, they use government contracts to drive prices through the roof for pharmaceuticals. We enacted a bill that governor signed unanimous in both the House and the Senate. I was proud to sponsor it. It's now the law. This is the next step. But ultimately, um, there's limits as to what state government can do. Um, I would urge our congressional delegation to get behind H.R. 3 um, and United States House of Representatives. Um, that is a far-reaching piece of legislation that would fix this nationally. Um, I have my doubts that even if that gets through the House, which I think it will, that Mitch McConnell and the Senate will call it for a vote. So that leaves us with options, and we're going to be exploring those options for next session because people are getting soaked every single day by uh, the supply chain for pharmaceuticals because the government is allowing it to happen. And I think it's reasonable to put some uh, regulations in place that would help working families with insurance afford the medication they need to stay alive. One more aspect to this, uh, a couple of days ago, we saw a quote from a representative of the insurance industry uh, here in Illinois saying that if you do this, insurance companies will simply make up whatever monies they're losing on capping the cost of insulin. They'll make it up somewhere else on some other patient somehow. Is that a risk here in putting this sort of cap on? Do you just simply pass those costs on to other people who also probably can't really absorb it? Well, there's there's several uh, tools in the toolbox that insurance companies have. Of course, we only get a glimpse of those things every now and then. Um, but first of all, we should acknowledge that if this bill becomes law, I am confident that insurance companies are going to be just fine. I think they're going to be just fine. The question is, are the people that need insulin to stay alive or keep their children alive, are they going to be fine? And the answer is without this law, they're not. Um, but Insurance companies can do a couple of things. They could do that. There's no evidence in Colorado that they have, by the way. There's been a negligible, if any measurable, impact on premiums as a result of this law in uh, Colorado. But number two, you know, they could use their heft um, as an insurance industry, and they could go back to manufacturers and say, you know what, we're going to negotiate with you about that price. So um, instead of adding price um, adding cost to the price to the purchaser, the consumer that needs the insulin. Um, what this bill might do actually is force insurance companies, instead of just tacking on costs, which they won't be able to do, go back to that supply chain, to the PBMs, to the wholesalers, and ultimately to the manufacturers and say, you know what, um, we're going to negotiate differently with you now. So I think I would acknowledge, Jim, um, there, there's an open question there. But that has to be balanced against what, what is happening to families today in Illinois um, that are paying, in some cases, upwards of $800 uh, to, I had one the other day call the office, $1,200 a month for insulin with insurance. That's got to stop. That's what this bill is designed to do. State Senator Andy Menard is live with us. Senator, one thing we thought we'd see uh, action on in the fall veto session, it hasn't gone very far yet, is the proposal to ban flavored vaping products. That would also include favored, uh, flavored tobacco products as well. Uh, got one hearing, no vote on it. Seems to have stalled a little bit. Uh, do you expect this will make it through in the fall veto session? What's the status of that? Whether or not it happens during the fall veto session, I think, is an open question. But eventually, I would expect 
um, eventually, perhaps in the spring session, um, a ban on uh, flavored vaping products. I would expect that to happen. I support that. Um, but I think because the nature of the issue that has moved so quickly nationally, especially over the last several weeks, um, in terms of, of what we are seeing uh, play itself out in states across the country, um, I think this, believe it or not, is a relatively new regulatory issue. That's not an excuse not to move, Jim, so don't misunderstand me. Um, but I would expect sooner or later there will be a ban on flavored vaping products, which covers a whole host of things. Um, flavored tobacco products, I think, is a different set of questions. Um, it's a different type of debate in terms of regulation. Um, but first, um, I think what we will see taken up is specific to vaping. Well, and as you noted, we've got a, a kind of significant health crisis right now, these severe uh, respiratory uh, injuries that are being uh, sustained by people using some form of vaping product. Nothing yet that directly links it specifically to store-bought commercial flavored vaping products. So are, are we uh, attacking one problem when really it doesn't address the other problem, which is killing people right now? And I think that that is the nature of some of the questions that are being posed. And um, I think those are valid questions to ask. For example, if there were a ban, um, what would that accomplish? Um, I think it would accomplish one very important thing that, that doesn't get talked about enough, which is the, the marketing that is done to children. Um, um, and the industry would claim it doesn't happen, but we all know that it does. Um, as far as the scope of the regulation. Those are important questions that, frankly, haven't been debated in a public forum because this technology is relatively new. And what we have seen with the health risks and the health crises happening to people all over the country today, um, that, that is relatively new as well. Doesn't make it less important, by the way. Doesn't make it less pressing. It's just a new debate for us. And we should have these full debates. There's varying opinions. But at the end of the day, um, I've made the decision that I support that, and um, and I will vote for it should it be called for uh, for a final vote in the Senate. What are your thoughts on the uh, proposal to consolidate local police and fire pension funds, including those here in Springfield, into essentially two large statewide funds for those local police uh, and firefighter retirees? Yeah, what I want to see in the final product, and I think this is fairly close, is um, a, a consolidation of investment, um, a consolidation of how investments are made statewide. I think that makes some sense. But uh, retention of local control when it comes to how benefits are paid out. And I think that's the nature of the disagreement today. I would tell you, Jim, I'm even a little hesitant about the consolidation of investment because um, what happens in downstate communities is oftentimes local investment firms or local banks uh, with the proper certification are the investors of local pension funds. When we consolidate around the state, um, that, uh, that business is probably going to be shipped out elsewhere. That's a negative. That's a big negative. We've seen the wealth shipped out of downstate communities too often for too many years. But that has to be weighed against what's happening with local pension funds. And, for example, you know well, because you talk about it uh, appropriately all the time, what is going on in the city of Springfield with local pension funds. So we, we have to look at things differently. Oftentimes it makes us all uncomfortable. Um, but hopefully we can thread that needle to where we can have combined investment, um, drive the investment returns up, 
in larger numbers, economies of scale, and retain the local benefit structure and access of benefits at the local level. I think that's a pretty good balance. Another important piece of legislation haven't seen a lot of movement on yet would be the bill that would keep us in daylight saving time year yeah. round. We just did the clock switch again. It gets dark ridiculously early. Senator, what's the what's the status of that legislation? So I'm, I, I'm hoping to call it for a vote next week. Um, um, my my goal last uh, last week during veto session, of course, was the insulin bill. And um, next week, I hope to have this debate on the Senate floor. It's been interesting um, because um, obviously the, the run up to this past weekend has kind of uh, put a new breath of life into this bill. Not that it was dead. It wasn't uh, because this was a, a late addition also in the spring session. But but um, I hope to call it for a vote um, next week in the state Senate and send it over to the House and continue to the debate. Can you do it like late in the day around 430 when it's already starting to get dark and people are like, oh, this is ridiculous. I mean, that seems like that might be a strategy for you. It could be. And I I will tell you that suddenly um, I have all kinds of of my colleagues on both sides of the aisle um, urging me to call that bill for a vote uh, next week uh, because of experiences that we have to remind ourselves of the complete arbitrary nature of the time change. And again, I, I would just remind the listeners that this came to me from high school students at Carlinville High School as part of the civics lesson. And um, and they, they, they literally convinced me uh, that the arbitrary nature of this is no longer necessary in society today. Um, and so we would, if we do this, we would be, I believe we're up to about nine states now that have adopted this. And ultimately it's going to require a change by the Congress. But uh, but but nonetheless, um, um, I, I always mention that the students at Carlinville High School, uh, the group that came to me as part of their their uh, civics uh, curriculum, um, this came from them, and hopefully we'll be able to get it halfway through the uh, halfway to the finish line next week through the Senate. Uh, Senator Andy Menard, two more quick questions for you. Number one, any updates on your proposal to bring uh, a college campus into downtown Springfield, maybe tied in with a North Mansion Y block or maybe the Armory or something else? We've talked about this for a while now. Haven't heard a lot to, recently about it. Where do things stand? Yeah, so, uh, so one very significant thing changed, Jim, between um, between last May and now, and that was the governor signed into law the Rebuild Illinois plan. Um, which would be the potential funding mechanism for all of those things that you just mentioned. Now that that is set, what I have spent my time on is meeting with Southern Illinois University, uh, predominantly the school of medicine, but but also the system in general, as well as University of Illinois, uh, UIS, and the system, um, along with Innovate Springfield, uh, Downtown Springfield, Inc., the city, the county, everyone, to bring everybody together on a combined proposal. I think we're very close to that. Um, but ultimately, uh, we're going to have to go advocate for money from the capital to, to do that. What I'm interested in is something that will transform downtown and bring educational opportunities uh, to Springfield that we don't have today while growing the economy. Um, that's a lot. That's a lot. But I think we can do it. And I think eventually uh, we will have a very unique proposal working with all of those parties um, that will make sense for a state investment. 
Well, please keep us posted on that. But as you mentioned, Rebuild Illinois, and we're starting to see some of the fruits of that. They just announced more renovations at the state fairgrounds today. But there's also a bit of a cloud over this, and as much as you've got this investigation that looks to have focused on now the former chair of the Senate Transportation Committee, other lawmakers are being caught up in possible uh, or already filed uh, charges, criminal charges here. How big a problem is this in terms of public confidence and how well this money is going to be spent and the legislature's ability to, to really move forward with some of these projects when you have uh, a, a growing number of people being caught up in all these investigations? Yeah, so I, I think the direct answer to your question, Jim, is I, I don't think we know yet. And I'm being frank and being honest here. I don't think we know yet. Um, but specific to the Capitol bill, there wasn't anything um, in the bill um, that wasn't negotiated down, um, you know, down to the individual project uh, that wasn't agreed to by all four caucuses. So, so I'm confident that um, what we are seeing with the Department of Justice and um, uh, state officials, as well as many local officials in suburban Cook County, um, is is separate and apart from um, what was a hallmark accomplishment of Democrats and Republicans. Uh, from the spring legislative session led by Governor Pritzker. Uh, So I'm confident in the bill. I'm confident in the public act, which is the law today. Um, We have a lot of work to do when it comes to ethics reforms. That's going to be a robust discussion. Um, It already is a robust discussion, rightfully so. It's going to continue to be. I have my own ideas about what needs to change. Um, But that is separate from Rebuild Illinois, and I am confident Um, that what we passed, which was a hallmark accomplishment of Democrats and Republicans, um, is going to stand on its own, and it's going to produce what we expected for the state. State Senator Andy Menard, we always appreciate your time. Look forward to talking to you again very soon. Thanks again. You bet. Thanks, Jim.